Hello and welcome to Moving Kentucky Forward. I'm Bruce Maples, publisher of Forward Kentucky. A few weeks ago, we had Robert Connie on this show to analyze the election results, and we realized after we finished that we had never talked about the mayor's race in Louisville and Lexington or the judicial races, and we thought those were important. So I've invited him back so we can have a second Robert Connie interview to talk about those races and the overall election. Let's hear from Robert again. So we're back today with Robert Connie. I won't give him the long introduction I gave last time, which was a couple of sessions ago. Uh, we're just going to get together and continue our discussion about the election results. Robert, welcome back to Moving Kentucky Forward. I appreciate you having me back on, Bruce. Uh, it was really fun last time, so I'm looking forward to it this time as well. Well, to set the stage, if you missed our first show, go back two shows and look at it. Uh, Robert did a really great job of breaking down some of the election results. But after we finished, we realized that we had not talked about the mayor's race in Louisville or Lexington, and we hadn't talked about the judicial races, including the race for the Supreme Court. And so I just said, well, let's just do this again. So Robert, tell us what you think about these two mayor's races in Louisville and Lexington. Uh, well, I guess we can start with the more boring one, which was Lexington, um, where yeah. Mayor Linda Gorton won going away with I mean, close to 70 percent of the voters. So I mean, maybe not quite that high, but but it was a lot of <laughs> it was not close that she won nearly every precinct. I think she might have won every precinct in the entire city of Lexington. And, um, you know, it was it was pretty non dramatic. I, I think Lexington very much likes Linda Gorton, I think David Kloiber did a good job of getting his name out there. I think he did a pretty good job of talking about his message. But, you know, I don't think it was quite enough to to win. And I don't really know if that was his goal in the first place. I think his goal in the first place was to, you know, provide an alternative and to kind of give a, a little bit of a contrast, not not kind of give it to Mayor Gorton without any sort of race whatsoever. Uh, and, mm. and I think he, he kind of, he accomplished that goal. I, I, I think, and I mean, he, we, we had him on our show. We really liked him kind of a heterodox kind of guy. Like, you know, it's not, th these races are nonpartisan, so they're not really like left versus right. They're just kind of like a lot of things versus a lot of things. And, and, you know, I don't think, I mean, I don't know for sure. We really enjoyed having Linda Gorton on our show, but it's hard to say if, if she would have come on, if David Kloiber hadn't come on first, you know, so that's the type of mm -hmm. thing that David Kloiber allows for in, in, in this kind of a race. Um, you know, I think she had a good time, so maybe she'll come back now, you know, but uh, I yeah. don't know if she would have come on in the first place if, uh, if, if it hadn't been for, for him. So anyways, well, that, that, yeah, that's, that's that race. So let's talk about the Louisville race, which turned out the way anybody a year before would have probably predicted, but it certainly didn't feel like the normal Louisville mayor race uh, in terms of, I had people calling me saying, okay, is Greenberg in trouble? What's going on there? And <laughs> I was fascinated by where he positioned himself. So uh, I'll let you weigh in on that. I have a couple of thoughts, but why don't you say what you think about the mayor's race? Yeah, you know, I, I think with with Craig Greenberg, um, he he was facing some pretty significant headwinds, especially for a Democrat in in 
Louisville. I, I think the the mayor of Louisville is a little bit opposite of the governor of Kentucky. Like if you're a Republican running for governor of Kentucky, you have a strong base that you're running from. But sometimes you have somebody before you who did a bad job or maybe you did a bad job in your last term and you're facing like these significant headwinds that you have to overcome. Uh, and that that is kind of what happened with with Craig Greenberg in Louisville, where Greg Fisher, the current still currently the mayor of Louisville, um, extremely unpopular by on on in every direction. The right and the left despise the man right now for for different reasons. But, you know, kind of maybe the core of the, the way that he went about governing during 2020, especially, I think, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way across the political spectrum. Uh, Craig Greenberg looks uh, kind of maybe talks uh, doesn't draw a physical contrast to Greg Fisher in in any real significant way. Um, they're both, you know, white men with wealth who, uh, you know, have been connected to politics for quite a long time. Uh, you also have the fact that it's going to be a Republican year in, in uh, you know, in government with uh, you have you have President Biden, who's very unpopular, especially in Kentucky. You have all of this money being spent on these uh, state legislative races for Republicans, especially in Louisville. You, you have all of these kind of like headwinds running against you and, and including, you know, and including uh, Bill DeRiff, the Republican candidate who is not a Donald Trump, not a Matt Bevin type person. He's he's a good fit as a Republican running for mayor of Louisville. So so he has all this kind of going against him, but he still has this core base of Democrats in Louisville. So so those kind of things added up. And, and I think Craig Greenberg's task in the general election was kind of to hold on to, to do what you can to draw as much of a contrast between you and Bill DeRiff to frame Bill DeRiff as, you know, a per person who's the party of Trump, the party of Matt Bevan, uh, and to do as much as you can to say, I will be different than Greg Fisher. Here's my plan um, to and, and to kind of just try to shore up and build as many allyships as you can. And I think he was able to to draw to, to do all of those things. And that added up to about a six six point win for him. So, you know, all in all, I think it was a pretty good race that he ran, um, even even if he wasn't able to achieve, you know, that 20, 30 point victory that that Greg Fisher was during those strong Democratic years in uh, 2018. Um, and I, I guess that was the strongest. And he faced like minimal opposition, I think, in 2014. So. Uh, so yeah. I was interested you talked about creating a contrast with Greg Fisher. Uh, and you also talked about Greg Fisher's unpopularity currently. Um, I can remember when most of the people in the city were really supportive of Greg Fisher. And, you know, if he had run with that same thing this time, he still might have had quite a, a, a significant win. Greenberg. I don't know if you saw the Mark Murphy cartoon uh, where he had Greg Fisher morphing into Craig Greenberg and, and basically said, you know, Greg Fisher 2.0. Um, and I thought that was one of the hardest things was how does Greenberg do that contrast? I did not. Now, this is me, Robert. I did not see that much contrast. Well, he, he, he certainly talked about. And and I didn't frankly see a lot of contrast between him and Deeriff either. Yeah, I, I I think that you you have to think about contrast less in terms of issues and more in terms of framing. Uh, you know, we read a lot of the political news. We look at people's party platforms. I mean, the fact that I mean 
the closing message from the Greenberg campaign was a new direction for Louisville makes mm. him look like, I mean, I saw that ad. It, it actually flashed up a new direction for Louisville before it said it was a Craig Greenberg ad. I thought it was going to be a Bill Deere fad. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, that, that was, that's kind of the message that the out party typically runs. Um, you know, that, that's, that's the way that he talked about this. I, I, and I, I mean, I think a lot of the people who are saying Greg Fisher 2.0 are, are literally just drawing like a physical comparison between mm. the two. Uh, you know, Greg Fisher is a very, I mean, he's not, he's not like politically conservative. He's not like a homophobe or transphobe. He doesn't like hate black people or anything like that. I don't think. Um, but, but he's very conservative in terms of his approach to governance. Like he, he refused to fire the police officers after the killing of Breonna Taylor, because he said that would be against the union contract. I expect, um, now this is just me and maybe, you know, you can tell me I have rose colored glasses on or whatever, but in my, uh, you know, interactions with, with Greg Greenberg, Greg Greenberg would fire the cops immediately. That that's just the type of person I see him as being, I mean, in, in a lot of the ways that he's talked about governing, you, you know, um, Craig Greenberg or Greg Fisher, I think that his criticisms of like a lot of his plans are like, we have a big problem with like abandoned cars on the streets. And Greg Fisher is like, well, we have to draw up a whole proposal. We have to do a whole study about what's going on here. We have to think about what the legal options are. And Craig Greenberg's like, you know, we're going to come up with a, a policy that's fast and short. We'll be like, if it's been on the street more than two weeks without a uh, warning, you know, we're just going to tow it. We're going to get rid of it. And if somebody wants to sue us, they can do it. Uh, that That is kind of how uh, his campaign is, I feel like, drawn a pretty significant contrast to, to okay. um to, to Greg Fisher. So, you know, we'll see uh, once he goes into office, but I, I do expect that there will be a significant difference in the way that he governs versus the way that Greg Fisher governed. All right. So now let's talk about judges and judicial sure. races. Uh, which judicial race struck you as either the most important or the biggest surprise? Um, I, I think probably the most important was the the Supreme court race in Northern Kentucky um, where Joe Fisher um, uh, fat based off against uh, justice Keller, I think it's Michelle Keller. I don't remember her for, I think it's, I think it's Michelle, it's Michelle. Keller who is the incumbent in that race. And um, I, I said, uh, the way that I've kind of been framing a lot of these races is in Kentucky, we're starting to see this dynamic where we have Republican partisans, facing off against uh, like jurists, people who care about the law and interpreting the law as their core principle. Uh, and those are kind of the races that we're seeing in, in a lot of these judicial races. And th there's been kind of three um, on the Supreme Court level that I feel like we, we've seen. And, and this was the most severe partisan one where, where Joe Fisher was literally running with an elephant on his campaign uh, signs. He was talking about how conservative he was when he was running for the Supreme Court justice. Of course, we had um, we had uh, Whitney Westerfield who ran for Supreme Court down in uh, the Bowling Green area, uh, that seat. Uh, and he was running as a Republican state senator, talked about his conservative record also. Um, and that was kind of that race also in, in Whitney Westerfield lost. And then the third one, which is probably the weakest example of all, because it kind of works both ways, where you had Bob Conley, who is a very conservative um, ju judge out in uh, eastern Kentucky facing off against Chris Harris, who is a state representative who was a Democrat. Um, Bob Conley talked about how conservative he was, but I felt like he actually talked about it from more of a, like a judicial. He, he actually did kind of draw a distinction. He had never served in the legislature, whereas, you know, Chris Harris was a 
Democratic state legislator. So, you know, uh, trying to make the jump from uh, the state legislature to the uh, Supreme Court has not been an easy thing to do on for either party. And and I do think it is kind of like going to show that in Kentucky, at least we do kind of understand the importance of an independent judiciary and um, we, we aren't interested in electing partisans, even in, uh, in areas as conservative as that Supreme Court seat, which is a, a very, very conservative area uh, in, in Kentucky. So, Did you get the feeling that a lot of the Republican leadership in the state saw Joe Fisher as something of a bomb thrower and they weren't necessarily interested in supporting him very much? You know... I think they saw him as a bomb thrower, but I don't necessarily think that that meant they weren't really willing to support him. Like, I think he got a lot of support. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not. I mean, he, I don't think, I don't, I mean, I do think that there are some Republicans in this state that don't feel like the way that he ran for judge is necessarily appropriate. But I also think that that means they wouldn't support anybody for judge because they understand the partisan nature of their office and they kind of don't see it as their job to do that. Um, so it could be like a very milk toast, normal guy who would probably support Republicans and they would be like, well, that's not really my job. Uh, and I think that that's appropriate. So so I do feel like that's probably the way it went. And we, we had a second Supreme Court seat that was uh, kind of in the same vein, a little bit more like uh, there were a lot of Republican money being poured into one candidate. That candidate lost. We also had a, a district court seat in in, Fay- or in uh, Franklin County that I think may have had the highest <laughs> the highest dollar per vote <laughs> amount in the history of American politics. <laughs> that, yeah, that was the one I was about to say. There's one race that I am absolutely positive every Republican in the state was interested in uh, seeing Judge Shepard ushered out. And, and yet he won. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't even close. I, I mean, frankly, so and and you're starting to see this. We talked a little bit about it when we talked about Amendment 2 and Amendment 1 um, last time we spoke with this kind of like um, voters in Kentucky are more willing to support nonpartisan uh, or are willing to support progressive causes as long as they're nonpartisan. Um, they're willing to vote for an abortion amendment. They're willing to vote against the Republican legislature uh, as long as it's like doesn't include a D by their name. Uh, Franklin mm-hmm. County is one of the most progressive places in Kentucky. It, it was I it voted for I think it voted for it may not have voted for Hillary Clinton. I think it did vote for Joe Biden, though. Um, you know, it's it and it's this the seat of a state government. It has a, a Democratic state representative um, in most of Franklin County. Um, you know, so it's it's one of the more progressive spaces. Um, so it, he it wasn't close. He won by quite a bit. Um, and, and and that, I think, is is more evidence of that, like even even more conservative or even more Republican voters in Kentucky are not necessarily like into conservative causes. So is there anything else that we need to look at or talk about, about the judicial races? Judicial races, let's see. Those, those are kind of the bigger ones that I, I was thinking about. Those two Supreme Court cases, uh, uh, the Supreme Court races, the um, the the North, and then the, the one in Franklin County. In Louisville, you know, I do want to shout out that we did we did have uh, several public defenders that won uh, both, I think, uh, one circuit court race and I think two um, district court races. So, um, you know, they, we have a few former public defenders who are already on the bench, Annie O'Connell being one of them, but uh, we have 
um, Sarah Clay, Yvette De La Guardia, and there's one more, and I can't believe I'm forgetting. Uh, it's been a couple weeks since election day, but we have a few public defenders going into the bench here in Louisville, um, which that's that's a big deal. Uh, you know, it is really important, I think, to get uh, a diverse uh, set of viewpoints onto uh, the bench in a county, especially when one as diverse as, as Louisville. Um, you know, the days of you need to have had prosecutor prosecutorial experience in order to be elected are behind us. And I think that that's probably a good thing. Um, you know, we do, uh, we, we, we did see a Republican elected, uh, citywide in Louisville with Bobby Holtzclaw holding on for the, the County clerk's race. Uh, I, you know, um, she'll, I guess serve till she dies. Uh, I thought Tina Ward, Tina Ward Pugh ran a good race, but you know, name recognition and just history, I guess, causes, uh, a lot of, a lot of stuff there. So, you know, uh, that's still, that's still kind of ripe for the picking there for Democrats. If somebody can actually pull it off. Uh, and then that's an important race. That's the uh, elections office and Bobby Holesclaw has done, uh, you know, there's, there's some things that I, I do think she isn't great on, but all in all, I think, especially for a Republican, she's done a good job, especially in the face of what her part party thinks about elections in 2022. Mm. Um, so how soon do you think you're going to lose your podcast partner to a judgeship? It, uh, uh, you know, I know it's I know it's something I've talked to her about before, uh, you know, and I, I, I if she ever wants to make that uh, make make that leap, I would be highly supportive of her doing that as opposed to hosting our podcast. Now, the thing is, her opponents would have what, like six years of podcast clips oh, yeah. to use against her. So, you know, that's that's a tough call. But, uh, you know, it, it is uh, it would be great to have Jasmine on the bench for sure. If that De La Guardia, who I just mentioned, uh, one of Jasmine's best uh, best friends, especially in the legal world, um, they, they served together as public defenders for quite a long time. So we were very happy that Yvette won. We both helped her out. Um, so we were we were glad to see that. Um, Yvette also be- becomes, I believe, the first uh, Latina elected in uh, the city of Louisville citywide. So that's that's pretty impressive for her. Um, one, oh, one other thing I did want to mention too, that, that is important. Lexington elected, I believe four women of color into their LFECG council, their city council, including three black women and a Latina. So a pretty significant, um, differentiation, especially from when I was there it was a very white, uh, white group. There were a few black folks that were on the LFECG council, but, but electing four people of color, especially four women of color in, in a city like Lexington, that's going to lead to probably some significant change in how that body operates. And that's, that's good news, I think. So last thing that I wanted to mention, uh, and we, we've already actually sort of hinted at it. Am I incorrect? Or did we see just this wave of women into the judiciary? That happens every so uh, this is a this is a really interesting point and a, one that's very important. Um, you we we have been seeing that in Louisville and in Lexington, really mostly in Louisville for quite a long time. Um, and, and we are starting to see more and more women elected. The thing is, we are not necess- not all of these women are progressives <laughs> and not all of these women are necessarily allies to the way in which. I would think. And I do think that there is kind of a default when you do not know who to vote for that people vote for the woman. And if you are a progressive voter, and that's important to you, it is very, very important that you learn about who these people are. Mm. There are some there are some men who lost who I thought were way better, way more progressive, would have been significantly better judges than the women who beat them. And I do think that there is just kind of this 
kind of inclination among progressive voters in Louisville to to uh, to vote for the woman. Um, and I think that a lot of that comes from a place of uh, just kind of defaulting and and maybe not. I mean, the ballot was so long, right? I mean, it was two full pages of races, took a lot of work to get educated on these kinds of things. But but just if you are a voter uh, who cares about these things, I would uh, you know, there's lots and lots of re- more than ever before there are resources um, for these elections. So yeah. definitely look some of them up before before you enter the voting booth, for sure. Cool. Robert Connie. Uh, election analyst extraordinaire. At least when it comes to Kentucky, that's for At sure. At least Kentucky. That's yeah. Right. All right. Yeah. All right. Appreciate Thank it, you for your time. And we'll have you again on sometime next year, maybe. In the near future. Sure. All right. Talk All right. to you soon, Bruce. Bye. Bye-bye. That was my good friend, Robert Connie, co-host of the Mild Kentucky podcast with Jasmine Smith, and also a really good analyst and uh, data mapper, does some really fascinating work with mapping the results of elections and being able to really dig into what happened. I want to thank him again for being on the show. And yes, we will have him back sometime in 2023, I am sure. Our next show, I believe, is going to be an interview with Buddy Wheatley. We're going to learn how his race went and what he learned from it and what he can tell us about the process he went through. Until then... Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Check out more shows at forwardky.com and we'll see you next time.